the readings this morning are taken from the first reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 17 to 20 and can be found on the church bibles on page 486 then the Lord said to them you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me they replied let us start rebuilding so they began this good work but when Sanballat the Horonite Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it they mocked and ridiculed us what is this you're doing they asked are you rebelling against the king I answered them by saying the God of heaven will give us success we his servants will start rebuilding but as for you you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it and the New Testament is taken from Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20 and can be found on pages 1000 and 1001 then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we thank you that where the two are joined together, a new life and new hope is found. And God, we pray that you would uh, speak to us and inspire us this morning through uh, this particular bit of the story of Nehemiah, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So week uh, five, I think we're on, of our sermon series. We're in chapter two, uh, verse 17. Uh, As I promised last week, it does start to begin to pick up. We will start to pace our way through the chapters uh, in a short while. But it's it's too important, the beginning of this story, for us to just kind of skip over these uh, really key and really crucial parts. Uh, We know that Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, uh, high official, high-ranking thing uh, in uh, in the time. And he was... uh, 
told about the state of the walls of Jerusalem. It broke his heart. He wept and prayed for days. He waited for months and months and months for an opportunity to speak to the king. He gets that opportunity. The king grants his request and says, yes, go to Jerusalem. We learned last week that he spent days and days traveling. So it almost got to the point where it had been a year since he first heard about the walls of Jerusalem falling down. He finally arrives in Jerusalem and for the first three days he rests before he even does anything else and I think that's incredible we looked at that uh, last week and then overnight uh, he's been exploring the walls for himself he's seeing it for his own eyes seeing what if the reports that he's heard are true and he discovers that the reports that he's heard didn't even begin to describe how bad the situation was and it was far worse than he had anticipated and the fresh start of a new day having traveled and rested and reviewed sees the start of the project, sees the beginning of that time where Nehemiah is able to say, now is the time to rebuild these walls. You can sense the excitement that he may have been feeling, but also the slight sense of trepidation as he stands up, because what he realises is at the moment he is a one-man person with one vision from God, and he's on his own. And he's travelled with some people, and they may have known what they were travelling for, they may have had an idea, but they may not have known fully uh, up until now he's been fairly secretive about what it is he's planning to do and finally he stands up and says this is the plan let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem an absolutely outrageous and crazy idea but already straight away within the first few minutes of him saying it faces some opposition which is nothing compared to the opposition he's going to be facing in the months to come But there's some incredible things that Nehemiah does here that I think are really speaking directly into us as a community and where we are at the moment as a united benefice. But I hope also will speak into where you may be as an individual in your own personal walk with God and for us as a community and what it means to be a community of people together in this place. And I want to look at three things that Nehemiah does just in these few verses, just in verses 17 to 20. Some things that Nehemiah does that really, really have inspired me and I hope will be an inspiration uh, to many others. And the first thing that Nehemiah does, and I think this is incredible, is he identifies himself as one of the people. Now, Nehemiah has come as an outsider. He, he has been working for the king probably most of his adult life. He hasn't actually ever lived in Jerusalem, although he's from Jerusalem. I think he was born there and then uh, moved away, or his family are from there. So he does, he very much sees himself as a Jew. He sees himself as a person of Jerusalem. And when he arrives and he sees the state of the walls, what he doesn't do is arrive and say, okay, these need fixing, off you go, let's go, you go and fix the walls, you've got to do something about this. He doesn't do that what he does is he arrives and says look at the problem we are in not look at the problem you are in look at the state of your walls but look at the problem we are in look at what has happened around us he's using the plural the whole time he's never saying this is a me and you thing this is a we thing we are in this together and it's funny because I was thinking about that and thinking oh, I'd love to have a modern day example of someone of really high status at a time of crisis identifying themselves as one of the people and helping those people out. And as I was thinking about that, Viv will testify this because it happened on Thursday, as I was thinking about this I just looked at my computer and there was a news story about Mallorca. 
Now, you may know this week that Majorca had some terrible flash flooding that was, uh, just came from absolutely nowhere and devastated the main kind of streets uh, through the centre of Majorca. Now, as a huge tennis fan, this particular story did resonate with me, uh, but Rafa Nadal, current world tennis number one, who is one of the richest people on this planet, who has a watch that costs more than most people's houses, uh, he is a, a, you know, a respected figure around the world, opened up his tennis academy for those who've lost their homes as a place of refuge, but then was seen picking up a broom and sweeping the streets and clearing the debris. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's recognising that the crisis that the people of Jerusalem are facing is just as much his problem as it is theirs. And just as much his responsibility as it is theirs. We heard at the beginning when he's praying in chapter 1, he's not praying about their sins, he's praying about our sins. He's praying about where we've gone wrong, where we've got it wrong together. And he has, right from the beginning, been identifying himself as one of them. And I think that's really significant because he knows that what he's about to do next is absolutely bonkers. Because the next thing he does is lay out the vision. He says to the people, this is the vision. And the vision is simple in, in understanding, but is not going to be easy to do. We've got to rebuild these walls. Now, he's already seen these walls are in far worse condition than he ever imagined they could be. And the people around him have been living with this for years. They know how bad the walls are. They know how destroyed everything is around them. And they look around them and they say, you want us to rebuild these walls. And actually, some of the opposition he faces, a huge amount of the opposition he faces, is from people who think he's absolutely out of his mind. And they're actually saying, this, this idea is so bonkers, Nehemiah, you must be going behind the king's back. Surely the king would never allow something like this. Surely the king would never agree to a project as ludicrous as this. And that's the opposition he faces. They're like, you, you've gone against the king. You must be blaspheming against the king. There's no way that he would allow this to happen. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, it's a huge project, and he expects to do it in a ridiculously short time frame with next to no resources. He's come with some people from the king, yes, but not enough people to rebuild an entire wall. And again, like we said in the beginning, this is not just a little wall around someone's garden. This is a city wall circling an entire city. And he's saying, "Let's, let's, let's do this, shall we? Shall we rebuild this? And so he lays out the vision, but there's something important that he does when he lays out the vision. Is that he faces that opposition, and I find what he does with the opposition quite striking. He doesn't try to persuade them round to his way of thinking. He doesn't try to say, "Look, you've got to buy into this vision. This is the, you know, you come on, just just help us out here." I mean, yeah, no, you're right. It's crazy, but I need your help. He doesn't do that. What he basically says to them is, "If you're not in this 100%, then you're not in this at all." I don't need around me people who are going to flake halfway through. People who are going to give up at the slightest bit of opposition. People who are going to think that this isn't from God. I don't need those people around me because if they're around me, then we're going to get halfway through and they're going to be a stumbling block. So if you're not 100% behind this project, if you're not 100% behind this vision, then, then there's no place for you here in Jerusalem is what he says. And they're really strong words. Nehemiah probably knows what is around the corner. I mean, he probably has an idea that there will be some opposition. 
He probably doesn't quite have an idea of how severe that opposition is going to get. But what he doesn't want in his project is people who ought to be there. Or people who feel they should be there. Or people who are there out of obligation or duty. He wants people involved in this project who want to be involved in the project. Who believe in the vision that he's laying out. There's so much, I think, there in the parallel of kind of God's relationship with us and the choice that he gives us to be in relationship with him or not. It is a choice he presents his people. And he doesn't want people to have to want him. He wants people to want to want him. In the same way any father would want their children to choose to love them. It's amazing what Nehemiah does as he lays out the vision. And he says, either you're, you're on board with this or you're not. But I need people who want to be here. I need people who want to rebuild these walls. Because it's not going to be easy. It's a big task. But then the most important thing that Nehemiah does uh, happens in verse 20. He's faced the opposition. They've come up against him and they've said, what is it that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven is the one who will give us success. And we, his servants, are going to start building. What Nehemiah does is he says to them, you're entering into a partnership by doing this project. By rebuilding these walls, you're entering into a partnership, not with the king, not with Nehemiah, you're entering into a partnership with the God who made the universe. And I think a wall really for him is is fairly manageable. Because God is behind this project, we can't fail. He's not pretending it's going to be easy. He's not unrealistic about the situation in front of him. He's not unrealistic about the size of the task. But he's very realistic about the size of the God that he worships. And the ability of that God. And he is confident, because he spent days, weeks, months praying and fasting, that this is God's vision. And he knows that if God is for him, then nothing can stand against him. And again, he uses that inclusive language as it says, we are his servants and we are going to build these walls with God on our side. You know, I said at the beginning of this sermon series that I didn't choose this sermon series because it was about a massive building project, of which we have three. (laughs) That wasn't why I chose this series at all. Uh, and, and we've said before that the series has gone in, in a different direction to kind of how we anticipated it to go. But this week, I don't think we can help think about our, help but think about our projects. Because when you look at it from a point of view of the fact that I've been here nearly two years now, I really hope I'm not seen as an outsider anymore. <laughs> but I am saying, let us build these projects Because I believe wholeheartedly in the the churches that we serve. I believe wholeheartedly in the church in this area. I believe wholeheartedly in the mission that God has for us. And I believe that the building projects will help us in that mission and aid us in what we're doing. And, uh, And so I am saying, let us do this. And the vision is a big, big vision. I mean, for, for two uh, relatively small parish churches in the middle of Sussex to raise nearly half a million pounds for three projects is a big, big ask. But we're working with a big, big God. And I really hope 
that we are stepping into what God has for us. And if we are stepping into what God has for us, then he's for us and he's with us in this. Uh, To put it tritely, if it's his will, then it's his bill. He will provide if we're doing what he's asking us to do. And that requires action on our part. And what it requires more than anything, and what Nehemiah recognises more than anything, is the absolute desperate need for one another. The absolute desperate need for community. He knows this cannot be just his project. Up until this point, for nine to twelve months, he's held this vision on his own. And he said, I can't hold that anymore, we've got to share it. This has to be a shared vision with the people of God. And he shares that vision and they jump on board. Some immediately, some join the project later as we'll find out as we kind of read through. He recognises the need of community because he recognises we are born to need community. The passage uh, from the Gospel, the Great Commission, arguably one of the most well-known passages in Matthew's Gospel. We all know, go into all the world and preach the good news and all those kinds. Baptise them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it can be one of the most guilt-inducing passages that there is. Because it can all make us say, well, I'm a rubbish evangelist. I'm rubbish at telling my friends about Jesus. I'm rubbish at going into all the world. uh, And all of those things. But the thing we misunderstand about that passage is Jesus did not stand on the mountain and give that call to an individual person. He gave it to a community of people. Because he recognised that this is something we're all doing together. And there are a number of walls that we can look at building. There are a number of ways in which we can interpret the, uh, the subject of walls in our building projects and in our evangelism and in our mission and in our uh, outreach to the community and all these different things. But in all of them, whatever it is, whether there's something personal for you that's resonating as we look at Nehemiah, whether there's something that's resonating for us as a church or as a benefice or as church with a capital C in this nation or however it's resonating, we need to acknowledge the same things that Nehemiah does. We have a big God who is able to do anything and we need one another. And that big God has given us one another I wonder how often you see the church as a gift. Because that's exactly what it is. The church is a gift of God to his people, knowing that we need community. That we need one another. Not only to do projects, but to walk as followers of Jesus. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gift to us. And so as we stand where we stand as a, as a benefice, with a big vision of three projects and a, a lot of money to raise over the next 12 months, but also as we stand as individuals and as a community seeking to share the good news of Jesus, let us do what God is calling us to do. Knowing that he is big, knowing that he's good, knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he's with us. And as we do that, may we know more of his love for us and share more of that love with the world. And so let us together rebuild the walls. Amen.